Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 89 and is being recorded on February 2nd, 2019. Today's topic, Spectral Scan, Star Trek Discovery, Season 2, Episode 3. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This podcast contains spoilers for Discovery Season 2, Episode 3, Point of Light. I'm Eric Berry. And I'm Eric Dewey. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustration. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Hello, Eric. Hello, Eric. How are it's you doing this week? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, 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 Eric. It's like doctor, 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 doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Aaron is not able to join us for this episode because he's on vacation right now. So He's on another trek, but yes. just not through the stars, through the nations of the world. <laughs> and I wish I had a trek out of this damn polar vortex. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, you guys got hit really bad. Like, we, we were pretty bad yeah. here in Ohio. We got down at one point. I think, I think the lowest we got was negative 18. Considering we only hit negative temperatures like one or two times a year normally, it's that's pretty low. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. bundled up like a son of a guy. I, I looked like that kid from that uh, Christmas movie. Couldn't put his arms <laughs> down you know, when I went out of the house because it was just nuts. And yeah, so for me, this episode was awesome because I was like, I need <laughs> a break from hectic work week, from the cold. And, and this episode uh, hit the spot. Seeing all that fire and lava on Kronos just made you it's feel warm inside. Made me feel all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and it, it, it's cool because I just love the feeling of watching new Star Trek. It's just to have the anticipation that, oh my God, there's a new episode of Star Trek when for so many years we couldn't say that. It's just, it's great. Yeah, it, it really is fantastic um, to just be able to to watch something new uh, once a week it sucks waiting <laughs> like i hate yeah. to wait but at the same time when i get the new episode and i'm like oh this is star trek that i have never seen before i've not seen this at all ever and this is new and shiny and i love it and the fact that it's good doesn't yes. hurt at all <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of some new star trek oh yeah we've got some news patrick stewart says that Star Trek the Picard series will be like a 10-hour movie. Yeah, that is uh, exciting for so many reasons. I mean, obviously, that's the way television is going these days, especially with yeah. streaming series where it's you know a long storyline that's spread out, and they spread it out so they can tell the story better. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's very interesting the way they're going with this. Essentially, you know, he's not going to be... Captain Picard. He's going to be John Luke Picard, but not right. Captain Picard, not as we've known him. So I'm very interested to see what they're going to do with the character. Patrick Stewart says he's excited for it. And this is coming from a person who had said previously he was done with the character. He was right. he had like, OK, Picard has run his course. I'm done with that. And whatever and they've done here, it was enough to bring him back in. So. Right. And there was that little glimmer of hope when um, Shatner did the Captain's series. And when he interviewed Patrick Stewart, like 
it seemed like Patrick Stewart was always interested in the possibility, but if the story was there, if there was a good enough reason for him to come back. Exactly. He wasn't, he's not coming back just for the payday. Like (laughs) Sean Connery said after his first last bond movie that he would never play bond again. And then they offered him a million dollar payday, which at the time was a lot of money, a very lot of money. It was record breaking for an actor's salary at the time. They offered him this million dollar salary to come back and he did. And his wife told him at the time, he's like, well, never say never again. And uh, that ended up being the title (laughs) of the movie. And it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So Patrick Stewart did this uh, Yahoo interview and he said, what we have coming up is exciting It's exciting for me because it excites me as an actor. Oh, the story is great, and I could be so careful with what I say, or they'll skim me alive if I say the wrong things. (laughs) But it references the present day at times. That's all I can say, really. I'm not saying we're in the present day. We're not. But the world we find Jean-Luc Picard in is not quite the world that we left him. And Alex Kurtzman gave a hint Because he said Picard's life is radically altered by the dissolution of the Romulan Empire, which we saw in the Star Trek Kelvin verse. Yeah. First movie. So uh, he also indicated that it would be 10 episodes in a serialized arc. And his quote is they are writing a 10 hour movie. So for right now, we can treat this as a limited series, but the show is being planned from the executive producers, Alex Kurtzman and Heather Caden, who are currently the executive producers of Star Trek Discovery. The show is being planned as an ongoing series with the hopes for multiple seasons. And even Patrick Stewart said, we're hoping for more than one season. And I was just happy with this thing, if this was just a limited series. But depending on how good it is, if you're telling me we're getting even more seasons with Patrick Stewart, I'm already hyped and excited for this. Yeah, absolutely. This is, it sounds like it's going to be great. The fact that uh, Patrick Stewart, who is a fantastic actor just all around and has seen so many things, he's not one of these actors who just takes anything that's put in front of him. He's not a a Nick Cage type actor Mm. who's just going to be like, yeah, oh, here, here's a new script. I guess I'm in this movie. Does he even know how to say no? I don't think he does. I don't think it's in his vocabulary. (laughs) Stewart isn't like that. Stewart's going to look at it and say, no, this isn't for me. And he'll pass on stuff that isn't good. So the Mm -hmm. fact that he looked at this and, you know, I'm sure they didn't have the script completely done, but they probably had the story and the basis and, you know, like, here's what we want to do with it. And it was, like you said, it excited him as an actor. And I'm like, if you can excite an actor like Stewart with your story, then I can only imagine what it's going to do for us as viewers. Looking forward to this quite a bit. And uh, yeah, if it is good, hopefully we do get another season and another season after that. And who knows how far it can go. Plus, I'm pretty confident in it because Patrick Stewart also signed on to also be a producer for this. When it's a series that you're starring in, but you also have that creative input, you don't just slap your name to a project that you don't believe in. If anyone knows Picard, it's the guy who's played him for over 20 years. It's Patrick Stewart. Yeah. So... I have a lot of faith in this project. Yeah, absolutely. I see a lot of shows that when they start out, you know, nobody knows if they're going to be good or not. Nobody knows if they're going to last. And then, you know, three, four seasons in when everybody's like, okay, hey, this is a popular show. Everybody likes it. Everybody's on board. Then you see some of the main stars 
you know, throw some of their own money into it and become executive producers. Uh, look at NCIS. Uh, Mark yep. Harmon didn't become an executive producer, I think, until season four or season five. But now yeah. he executive produces that and the L.A. version and the mm-hmm. New Orleans version. So, you know, he's like, OK, well, obviously this is a franchise that's working. I'm going to go ahead and put some money into it so I can get more than just my actor salary right. back out of it. But when an actor does it right from the very beginning, mm-hmm. that means they believe in the project. So yeah. with Stewart behind it, I'm behind it. Yeah. Another example is like in uh, Stargate, Richard Dean Anderson became executive producer of that show too. Yeah. You see it happen quite a bit, but usually it's mm-hmm. not until the show has been established for at right. least a couple of seasons and, and has gotten good ratings and has been you know, well-received. That's when the actors are like, okay, well, you know what? Maybe it's time to get in on the back end of this. And that's why they become executive producers. They throw a little of their own money at the production, but then they get some of the back end instead of just their salary as an actor, which, you know, works out for them. But most of the time they wait to see how it's going to pan out before taking that step. Stuart jumping in both feet right from the beginning. That means good omens to me. Yeah, same here. And then speaking of even more news for a new Star Trek project, these animated shorts that uh, has been rumored, there's more short treks coming, but the next round is going to be animated after Ooh, Discovery. Interesting. So that's coming in the spring uh, once uh, Star Trek Discovery is over uh, for the second season. And so composer Michael Giacchino, he was the composer for uh, the Star Trek Kelvinverse movies. And I love all of the music from that trilogy. Oh, yeah. The the music it's in those movies is fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And so apparently he also wants to get into directing. So this composer, uh, Michael uh, Giacchino, is going to direct one of these animated shorts. And that was announced by Alex Kurtzman at the Television Critics Association press tour, which happened this past week where a lot of this new news came out and we are doing two more short treks. They're going to be animated different than the lower deck series that's coming. So these aren't going to be comedic short treks that are animated. These are going to be more serious. Most likely if he's specifically saying that they're going to be different than lower decks, then I'm assuming that he means that they're going to be a more serious take on the Star Trek storyline. What I'm wondering is the fact that they're only doing two Mm-hmm. Does that mean maybe there's going to be a shorter break between Discovery's season two and season three? He says, hopefully. <laughs> uh, I don't know. And and they haven't greenlit season three yet. I know the producers said that they have ideas for where they want to take season three, but that hasn't been announced yet. So I'm I have fingers crossed because... At the rate we're going right now, and we'll talk about this episode that just aired, I really like what I'm seeing in terms of the story that they're building for this season. I have faith that, you know, if they do another season, it will be just as good. I'm all ready for it. Yeah, me too. Um, So far, so good. Season one was fantastic. Season two is shaping up to be great. Yeah, like you said, if they just keep up with that type of production, if they Mm -hmm. just keep on going, there's no reason they can't go several more seasons of Discovery. I know they've got these other shows in the works, too, right. but that's okay. We can have yeah. more than one trick airing at the at the same time. We've done it before. We can do it again. I'm totally good with that. So here's hoping. Yeah, and the other director for the second short 
is Discovery directors and producers Olatunde Osunami, who actually directed this episode that we're talking about, Point of Light. So he's directing the other planned animated short. Okay. So we've got two uh, established Trek people on yes. board already to do this, and that's fantastic. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But not too much forward to it, because I don't want Discovery Season 2 to be over just yet. <laughs> yeah, we still, we've still got a long way to go still. I think we've got like 10 more episodes, so... <laughs> We'll be here for a while. Yeah. All right. Since the news is done, we'll do, uh, unfortunately, Aaron's not here for it, but we'll do Aaron's favorite segment. Would you buy it? Yes. I have to agree. I think uh, I might buy this, as a matter of fact. Um, it looks really cool. And the fact that it's updated with discovery information as well definitely uh, kind of seals the deal for me. Especially and since I, it's have, not very expensive. I have the other uh, two books in this series. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we're talking about is the new Klingon fleet, Star Trek Shipyards, Encyclopedia of Star Trek Ships book. This is coming out. It releases May 14th of this year, 2019. It is available for pre-order through Amazon right now at a price of $19.46. So it's not too expensive. It is, if you've never seen these books before, they are very well done. I've seen several of them. I don't actually own any myself, but I know you do. So, you know, you can tell people what to expect from a book like this. Well, what's great about it is this is taking the content from the uh, Star Trek Eagle Moss uh, ships. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I never subscribed to that. And so I don't really have any of those. But I know for each ship, they, they have a book mm -hmm. uh, talking about the production of the ship in the show. Uh, they show some artwork and you get some cool like 3D renders and more information about the ship. Well, essentially what these books do, I think they pull all the content from those books. So they released one that was like the uh, 22nd to 23rd century so kind of like the original series era and then they released one that was more of like the the voyager era uh -huh. and now this this one that's just been announced for klingons and this is i opened the show notes this is the first time i'm hearing about this so i'm <laughs> i'm gonna pre-order this today yeah so this volume features ships from the klingon fleet from the 22nd to the 24th century opening with the klingon defense force bird of prey an essential part of the fleet since the empire first achieved spaceflight the book features 30 ships including the D7 class battle cruiser which we'll talk about some more in this episode the sarcophagus the raptor and the late 24th century IKS Negavar yeah it's pretty cool it's got ships from all enterprise. the different versions of Klingons that we've seen. Yeah, you know, it's so. got it's got from Enterprise, from Discovery, original series, and all the other all the other series. So yeah, it, it covers the gamut, and I'm I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I, I came across that this morning, uh, flipping through Amazon, and I was like, ooh, that looks interesting. So hey, we got two buyers here. I'm glad you picked it because I didn't know what I was gonna put in the would you buy it segment. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't sure if we were gonna skip it because Aaron wasn't here, but then I was like no we can't just skip it uh, yeah yeah we'll have uh, to ask him when he comes back next week and be like hey so uh, last week would you bought it <laughs> <laughs> but one thing i did come across and this is absolutely ridiculous so the official star trek store i love some of the shirts like they they have the disco shirt from discovery mm -hmm. uh they have but they they literally just released this week and they timed it with the episode the the cadet 
training program shirts. Yeah, and Those hats. Those are already on the store. Yeah, and the hats, too. I, I saw that. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, they're definitely taking advantage of the merchandising on Discovery. They're they're not hesitating in the slightest. And the second something appears on the show, they're like, here it is for sale, guys. Uh, <laughs> Which I'm fine with for some things. Like, I... I love the the disco shirts. Those are so cool. But I came across one shirt. And I just wanted to talk about it because this is where I feel like Star Trek merchandise oversaturation is happening. Oh. They on their on their site they have a shirt for the school that Tilly and May went to in junior <laughs> high. They have a school shirt for the brief mention of that school. And I'm like, guys, this is ridiculous. It's such a deep cut. No one cares. That's that's the kind of shirt you wear only to like a Star Trek convention. Like you get that shirt and you wear it just to that or you wear it into a group where you know that somebody's going to get it. Because if you just wear that out, nobody's going to know. Like even people who watch the show probably aren't going to catch that right off the bat unless you point it out. It's not going to be something you're just going to glance at and be like, oh, hey, that's the shirt. That's the school that uh, Tilly and May went to in Discovery. Yeah. No, you're not you're not going to get that. It's not something I couldn't even. Like I've, I've watched the episode three times and I, the name of the school is actually escaping my memory right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's a little extreme, but I'd still prefer that over stuff like the, that we talked about a couple of weeks back, the T set that says NCC 1701-D on it, but is not anything that we've ever seen on screen or even similar to anything we've ever seen on screen. It's like, why? Why are right. they just slapping logos on just random stuff now? <laughs> like at least this ties to the show. So I'm not going to buy either one, but I, at least it ties back to the show directly. Exactly. So now it's time to talk about the episode Point of Light. So from CBS, this is the synopsis. A surprise visitor to the USS Discovery brings shocking news about Spock and drudges up past regrets for Burnham. Following the asteroid incident, Tilly struggles to keep a grip on her reality. Laurel's authority on Kronos is threatened. Dum, dum, and this was dum. TVMA for, for sexuality and violence. Yep, them great Klingon nipples again. <laughs> so, so I actually found this bit of trivia, and this is kind of a deep cut. But the reason that this episode is called Point of Light is because it's taken from the Next Generation episode, Rightful Air, when Worf recalls the words of Kalesh saying, I will go now to Stovacor, but I promise one day I will return. Then Kalesh pointed to a star in the sky and said, look for me there on that point of light. And the point of light was the location of Boreth, which is important to this episode, which we'll talk about. But holy cow, what a great callback. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that they're tying things back and, and tying things together while still keeping things fresh. Um, you know, a lot of people are complaining about that. Like, oh, they're trying to you know force it to be canon. And it is canon. It always was canon. It is. You know, it just it just is. <laughs> so yeah. take a step back from whatever delusion you're holding on to of wanting it to look like a 1960s TV show and just enjoy the story for crying out loud. When they throw stuff like this in 
there where it's obvious tiebacks to the original universe that we all know. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's going to be changes when you're jumping around time frames. You know, we've gone back and forth and back and forth in the time frames that, that Trek has existed in that mm-hmm. we've seen. So things are going to change as filmmaking progresses. So just get over it and enjoy the story. <laughs> and and this was a pretty good story overall. Um, I Overall, I enjoyed the episode. Let's talk about some of our likes. For me, the top thing that I loved about this episode, not not liked, loved, was the direction. I loved the fast movements in the beginning, all the camera angles flowing from one movement to the next. We see the Vulcan ship as part of the graphic that Burnham's working on, and then the camera flips with the bright light, and she's looking ahead to the window and then the marathon passes her and so we get that flip camera shot in the hallway everything just flowed together in that one sequence it was just really beautifully shot and it wasn't the only thing i liked direction wise in this episode it was any time that may was on screen interacting with tilly there'd be little tricks like her in the lineup of the cadets and then when we pan to Tilly, she's next to Tilly. Yeah, I like that where she, she was on the left side and then they pan over and there she is on the right side. But then they go to the back and they show, nope, there's only, you know, they showed five people, yeah. including two Mays. And then they show the back view and there's just the three of them there. Very cool. I, I'm pretty sure if you go back, because I know uh, the same director, Olatunde, did several episodes in season one. And he loves doing those upside down, turning to right side up shots, yes. which works so well in Discovery with the way everything is shot. This is one of the things I love about Discovery is the the spatial mm-hmm. orientation. I've talked about this before. And he uses that to his advantage when he's directing so much. And we see it quite a bit, but it's not too much. Right. Like you could see it being like a trick that could be used too much. It's like somebody who's you know, editing video mm-hmm. for the first time and uses a star wipe on every single scene right it's not like that it flows well and it when it's used it feels natural and as if this were a show not set in space mm-hmm. this might be annoying this might right. not work but the fact that it's set in space and so many of the shots start outside of the ship and then go in and that's another thing that i love is that that whole you know coming in from outside the ship and mm-hmm. as it's turning and we're you know here's the ship just floating in space as it would and then we're lining up to see how the people are inside boom i love that and he does that a couple of times in this episode too it's fantastic so i I completely agree with you the direction on this episode amazing i look forward to more episodes directed by this guy and you know you you mentioned like you know the shots from outside the ship going in i've always loved that when any star trek series does it one of my favorite shots in voyager was you know the outside of the ship and it zoomed into janeway's ready room so cool or when they did in deep space nine for what you'd leave behind that last shot of the series panning out with jake and kira and panning out the window of deep space nine that's so cool in star trek because you're right when when it's space you can do these amazing effect shots and do some really cool things one more really cool direction point that i wanted to point out was um i'm actually using it for the graphic of this episode title was the conversation between burnham and tyler and they did it really felt like a quote-unquote phone call or video call because you would get the shots of of them in the same angles where they're centered in the frame 
you know, kind of looking slightly off to the side, like looking at the person they're talking to. And he replicated a few of those established shots of them talking to each other. And then these wide shots where they'd be like one on one side, you know, they, they kind match of a split the screen. camera angles with their holograms and their physical selves. And then in the middle of all that, he blended the two live action shots together with the same angle. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was just like, my God, this is so beautifully shot. Yeah, a lot of fantastic work just in one scene of a conversation that in mm-hmm. any other Trek that we've seen previously would have been people talking on a screen. And yeah. that's it. So, yeah, the, the way it was shot, you know, it establishes that, yes, they're doing this holographic communication. Then it shows each side, how it looks to them. And then when he does the split screen where you see Kronos on one side and you see Discovery on the other, and oh. it's as if they're standing right next to each other talking. And the fact that that, that scene, mm-hmm. while, you know, yeah, a little bit of information was imparted, but for the most part, that scene was all about them struggling to communicate with each yes. other on any level other than here's some basic information you need to know. Okay, well, I've done that. And now this is uh, really awkward and um, it's late here. Um, I should probably go. Uh, you know, it's like you can tell that these are two kids in love that are not able to to be together in the way they want to be. And so everything is just so awkward between them when they're not talking business. Yeah. And, it, and I think I think the use of those angles in that scene helped with like the isolation that these two characters feel when it comes to each other. And that's a good director. (laughs) That's a good direction choice, you know? Yeah. When you can make a simple conversation like that feel like such an important moment, Mm -hmm. that's good. (laughs) That's exactly what we want from television in general, not just Star Trek. But um, yeah, there's a couple of scenes in this episode where we have these conversations between people that are just thick with emotion and you feel what the characters are feeling. And what's so weird about it is like you've got two characters that are feeling such different things but and you feel both of it and you're conflicted and you don't like yeah there's no right or wrong in some of these situations you're, you're looking at them going I, I understand both sides of this so thoroughly i i don't know who to side with you know so i think it's wonderfully done i mean the writing and the direction on this episode was fantastic moving on another one of my likes it, it's no secret here on the podcast, we all love Pike. Pike is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I really liked that Pike is open to listening to the concerns of his crew and making these tough choices. That was really seen in when Burnham was coming to him with the medical file. At first, he's following protocol. He's like, okay, let's let's see if we can get a straight answer going directly to the source. And when that turned out to be BS, then he ordered Burnham to decrypt the files because he knew that something was wrong. And I like that because by him giving the order, it takes the burden of blame. If this were ever brought up in like a Starfleet board of review or anything like that, it takes the blame from Burnham and Amanda to put squarely on his shoulders. Yeah, I agree. I like that. That moment when he, when he said, and that's an order, I was like, 
oh, snap, he's legit taking responsibility for this. He's not yep. doing like, okay, you know what? Hey, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out of the room and I'm just going to, you know, forget this file on the desk. If you happen to pick it up and decrypt it, you know, that's, I, have, I don't know what you're doing. No, he's straight up said, yeah. do this. And I'm telling you to do this. So, yeah, exactly. If it comes back and there's an inquest or a court martial or whatever they do, she said, I was ordered to do it. Now, yeah. that's not going to absolve Amanda of no. the responsibility <laughs> of the theft of the file. But nobody needs to tell them where the file came from. Just that, well, we right. got we were handed this file and we decided that it was important to decrypt it. <laughs> Little side note. Regarding uh, the file itself, it looks like one of those cards in the original series that they would insert into the desk. And I freaking loved it. Yeah. When like, they- like the square white thing with the... You know, the little cards that they would always have on the original series. Yeah. When they it makes sense to bring in little pieces like that. You know, we don't want to see switches and dials and stuff like that on a starship at this point in time. But little things like that. Yeah. Data would still be on some sort of storable media. And mm-hmm. in this case, it happens to be uh, this card, which I'm sure is fairly universal amongst Starfleet vessels and stations. Therefore, that's the way you would transmit information. And mm-hmm. we saw something similar to this in season one. Granted, it was a Terran version of it, but we right. saw this in season one when Michael slipped the information regarding the uh, Defiant off of the Shenzhou, the yeah. ISS Shenzhou. So when they're able to take something, it's like, okay, we've got all this tech, quote unquote, from the original series that we just absolutely mm-hmm. cannot use in this day and age. Like, this is garbage. <laughs> we can't do this. <laughs> but what can we do? What, what can we use? What can we bring in to tie back and keep that visual continuity that so many people are moaning and complaining about in little ways. And when they find ways to do it like this, you're absolutely right. It's fantastic. One of the cool things um, that I also like just from this scene with Pike and Amanda and Burnham is that you see that all three of those characters have such a deep connection with Spock. Spock isn't someone who, who they're just like trying to help. This is their family. Like Pike has already been on a five-year mission with Spock. Burnham grew up <laughs> with with Spock and, and has known him for decades. And now, obviously, Amanda, that's his son. So the fact that they're all concerned about Spock and they all can say that, look, we know his character. We know what this guy is saying is BS and there is a cover up here. They're able to see right through that. And I think for new time viewers, that will really help solidify that. Yes, Spock is a known quantity in this universe. We don't know much about him in the canon during this time period, except from the cage and the menagerie. But we know that at its core, this is Spock. He's always been uh, a caring individual, someone with a lot of passion that he has to control on his Vulcan side. Yeah, absolutely. And the way the doctors were talking when they're reading the medical file and they're talking about his lack of empathy 
it's like some people might read that and be like, well, you know, he's just being Vulcan. Well, no, Vulcans don't not feel emotions. They don't mm-hmm. not feel empathy. They simply don't show it. They're taught to repress it and to not show that emotion. The fact that these doctors are taking that into account and still saying he's showing no signs of having any empathy, that is a bad sign. Mm-hmm. It's important to the story for them to look at that and say, something's wrong here. This is not Spock, you know, that we know. So something is terribly, terribly wrong and we need to find out. What- One of the big things that I always love in Star Trek is tech. Like, I love ships. I love cool technology. I love all that stuff. So there was a lot of tech in this episode, which I really loved. A lot of that came from uh, Section 31. Yeah. I love the Section 31 ship so cool when they did the upside down at first i didn't know it was gonna be upside down (laughs) and so like i really liked how boxy the ship is it very much felt like one of those original series kind of boxy ship designs that they would sometimes show so i really liked that i really liked that it wasn't a full-blown cloak because technically that's still not completely available yet and it kind of feels like in some enterprise episodes when they would come across a couple alien civilizations here and there that had a quote-unquote cloak like the Sulaban or some of the other species the effect of the cloak very much felt like that was from enterprise like when enterprise did that kind of effect where you know the cloak would kind of come in and out and like crackle on the surface mm-hmm. uh it just reminded me of like when enterprise would use the spatial beacons to detect uh, a cloaked ship uh, a few times in the series like that's the kind of effect that it felt like and i i thought that was pretty cool yeah it was a neat trick and i do like the technology like you said that they're bringing in from section 31 i'm curious as to how much of that is directly inspired by Giorgio coming in because we, mm. we saw what kind of toys she had as emperor so oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that she came in and gave them a few ideas that they hadn't even thought of yet some of the stuff we saw her use i definitely feel like that had some Terran inspiration behind it uh one of the things was the the phaser drone that yeah. just kind of came in and like popped them bloody <laughs> yeah like those were, those were set to murder, death, kill, and <laughs> they just came in pew, pew, pew. But and it felt very similar to like when she had that spinny disc thing and just like <laughs> killed a bunch of people. Like boom, 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 they're dead. But you know what that also reminded me of? It reminded me of that drone thingy in the Next Generation. It was like a very early season. Oh yeah, episode. yeah, yeah. Um, kind of that hover thing. You know what I'm talking about? What was I forget the name of the episode, but uh, I remember. It was the, when they went to that planet when they were like when it had the recording. The guy came on. It's like peace yeah. through superior firepower, and it was like all about them selling these things. But the planet was long dead. But they went down. I'm pretty sure that was season one because I remember beardless Riker and uh, <laughs> the jumpsuits, the full on jumpsuits. So I'm pretty sure that was season one. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and it had those those drones that after they destroyed a couple of them, like they learned and yep. they they got better, and they were just killing machines. <laughs> And then she had that bubble thingy where he kind of like floated up and got encapsulated. <laughs> that feels more like a Federation Section 31 type thing right. than a Terran inspired thing. 
simply because of its non-lethality. The right. fact that it doesn't instantly kill you makes me think that it wasn't Terran-inspired. The phaser drone definitely seems like something that Giorgio <laughs> brought with her or like said, hey guys, here's what we have. That thing looks more like something that you would use to kidnap somebody mm. or to, yeah. you know, for... Unless, of course, we don't know whether or not he could breathe in there. So it's very <laughs> possible that it's just a way to, to suffocate somebody slowly. We don't find out because uh, Laurel kills him too quick <laughs> as soon as she's able to. And then the uh, the holographic camouflage that she used, not only to... And I don't know if she phased into that wall because the wall kind of crackled or if she was like cloaked. I, I feel like, I, I don't know, I think it was a, a transporter, but I don't know if it was... Like she transported in cloaked? I don't know if it, it was that, or like maybe she transported in inside of, yeah, some sort of holographic cloak. That, again, something is we know that uh, they've used in the Terran universe. That's how Terran Stamets uh, hid right. in his uh, lab there. We know they had that type of technology, so it's not unthinkable that she would recommend that sort of thing. I felt like she transported in. I don't know if the transporter effect was different because it's a section 31 ship or because maybe you know they've talked about how it's hard to transport onto chronos undetected maybe they have to use special techniques to get there you know One, obviously the ship was kind of hiding you know maybe they had to use something special to be able to transport her from wherever they were hiding onto the surface and that's why we get a different effect one thing one thing i think it might be that she was either phased was because before she took her cloak off and there was like a holographic camouflage the face looked klingon so my thing was maybe she was just already infiltrated on Kronos and there was holographic camouflage that was hiding her in the background but also changing her face. I felt that the face thing was like built into the that cowl that she was wearing because mm -hmm. it seemed to like it was there like you could barely see her face in the cowl and then as she lifted it back that's when the hologram of the Klingon face started to fade away right so I, I felt like it was built into that cowl like that's where the projectors were so that if you if you didn't look too close if you just walking by you're like oh there's a Klingon face underneath that cowl and we see other Klingons wearing similar cowls just not completely like all the way covering their face like hers was so either way is pretty cool yeah it, it was a it was a great <laughs> scene and you know picking apart that particular effect is just one of those things that uh, it's like okay well what what's going on there hopefully we get a little bit more explanation of that I would love to see some more section 31 tech because they, they seem to have the best stuff I'm They're very all the curious best toys. <laughs> right um, and now the Klingons have a new toy with the D7 oh yeah holy crap I loved it it totally had the classic look from what we've seen in the original series I love that the timeline fits you know this is still 10 years before Kirk and Spock's mission so I love that we're in the process of them building these new fleet of ships yeah, I love that whole scene where they're describing this stuff. Like, here's the new, here's the future of the Klingon Empire, a united Klingon Empire, not individual houses making their own ships at various levels of technology. We're pooling all of our technology, all the houses, and we're building the best battleship ever. And here it is, and it happens to be the D7, which is what we see later on. And I'm sure when I'm hoping that we maybe see one being built or something like that, and we can see what discovery flair they put on the the finished product. Like maybe we see a, a shipyard where you know the prototype is being being put together and we get to see a little some details some flair that would be cool oh yeah and 
it was really cool because even that there was an outside establishing shot when Tyler was leaving his dwelling trying to follow the spying individual. Mm-hmm. And in the background on the cliffs, you saw like what we would see in the next generation and enterprise, the, the towers with, you know, the kind of upward spiky uh, rooftops. And so yeah. the visual style still carried over from past series, which I appreciated. Yeah, planets aren't going to change that much over the course of time. While the effects might get better, major characteristics of the buildings, architecture and such, are going to continue to be similar throughout the years. I mean, we still see, you know, you can still look at a picture anywhere and be like, oh, that's somewhere in Russia because of the shape of the buildings, you know. Yeah. It's the same type of thing. And so, yeah, I did appreciate that as well, that we see... Yes, we see the new parts of Kronos that we're seeing only in Discovery, but we also are establishing that, no, this is the same Kronos that we've always seen. I mean, it's, a, it's an entire planet, you know? So, yeah. you know, think about all the different places we have on Earth. If you, you know, landed in one spot on Earth and then landed in another spot on Earth and didn't know you were on the same planet, you might think that, hey, these are two totally different places. And I'm sure... Other planets are like that as well. That's one of my biggest gripes about Trek in general, mm-hmm. and actually not just Trek, most sci-fi in general. It's the planet of one environment. Yes, you you have you have oh that's a sand planet, that's an ice planet, that's a jungle planet. Like it, like none of these planets, if they're capable of supporting life, that means they're also going to have different ecosystems. I mean, it's just these things go together. <laughs> in exactly. order for a planet to support life, it's going to have to have a rich ecosystem, and there's going to be different. Yes, there might be a planet that has more of something than other things. You know, somebody might look at Earth and be like, oh, it's a water planet because we you know. <laughs> The majority of the surface of Earth is covered in water, but it's not 100% water everywhere, you know. So it's good to see these different aspects of Kronos because we get to see what's familiar, but we also get to see that there's other parts that we haven't seen yet. So I dig it. Yeah. Another thing that I enjoyed, and I didn't know about this until I saw the credits, was that Kenneth Mitchell, the actor who played Cole in the first season— returned to play his character's father, Coleshaw. Now, now, see, I knew it was him right away as soon as I saw it, and it confused me because at first I was like, wait a minute, no, Cole's dead. Like, wh- who is this guy? Like, <laughs> I, I watched Cole get blown the crap up, like, seriously, <laughs> like, really blown up. There's no way he survived the destruction of the sarcophagus ship. So, like, I was really confused for a moment, but then when they said, uh, it's Cole shot, I'm like, oh, okay, he's playing his father. Got it. All right, I'm on board now. So, yeah. It, yeah. You could you can see the resemblance, but they also did the makeup a little differently so that you could yep. tell it wasn't the exact same character. But it did. It was similar enough, mostly in the mannerisms. You know, Kenneth yeah. Mitchell's mannerisms as a Klingon are very unique, especially the way he does his arms. Like when he's talking, the you know, he's kind of he's kind of Italian in that way. He's always speaking with his hands. It's a unique way of doing it. And I'm like that. Yep, that's the same guy for sure. Yeah. So that was that was really cool. And when I watched it for a second and third time, I did appreciate that some of the mannerisms carried over from Cole, which, you know, makes sense, like father, like son. Yeah, it's a Star Trek tradition of actors playing their relatives, like William Shatner played Sam Kirk, Brent Spiner played Lore before. Uh, Brent Spiner Nudian played Sue, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> 
Robert Ricardo played Louis Zimmerman, and Kate Mulgrew played her ancestor, Shannon O'Donnell, and Michael Dorn playing Colonel Worf. So it's in true Star Trek tradition, and I, I really love that he came back for the second season, if only for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be funny if, from now on, Kenneth Mitchell plays different members of the House of Core. <laughs> and if he gets killed every season. Yeah. Kenneth Mitchell can be the Sean Bean of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> and I wouldn't have a problem with that because <laughs> he is a fantastic actor playing Klingons. Like, my God, he just has all the mannerisms down. He's got the language down. It's so good. It really is. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And then finally, my, my biggest like for the episode was just Emperor Giorgio returning again. I love her sassiness. I love that even though Ash Tyler called her emperor, she's still keeping up that, oh no, I'm Philippa Giorgio, but in like a sarcastic way, like, hey, maybe shut the hell up a bit. <laughs> and I loved it when Ash and the baby were on board and she kind of does like the, oh, cuckoo baby <laughs> face. And then when he looks over at her, she kind of like rolls her eyes or whatever. Like, I just love her playfulness. I loved all of her lines. I loved like, oh, we're all freaks here or whatever, like, or freaks have more fun. I love that line. I love everything about her return. Yeah, it really was spectacular. I've got that on my likes list as well, as far as her entrance, her man, you know, the entirety of her character and yeah. that look you were talking about. I love that we get that brief glimpse as we talked about in previous episodes. You know, are we going to see this Taryn Giorgio develop into a better version of herself in our universe? Yeah, she's still going to be kind of a not necessarily a bad guy, but now she's at least working for us and she's using her talents for for the Federation, although it is Section 31, and we know that they tend mm. to do whatever they want whenever they want, regardless of whether it really fits in with Starfleet's mission and purpose. But that brief look when she's looking at the baby and she's like, oh, and then he turns around and she's like, I wasn't looking at the baby. What are you talking about? I hate baby. Babies suck. <laughs> <laughs> and even that, that whole baby suck line when, when she was saying, oh, they take up too much time. That's why I had people take care of mine <laughs> yeah if i didn't have somebody else feed my child i would have never gotten anything done right right and i love the rose i love the rose response to that too she's like i'll take that under advisement <laughs> Uh, so what were some of your likes for this episode? Well, in addition to the stuff that you mentioned, because I, I liked all of that as well, I also love the fact that uh, at the beginning of the episode, we see when they first encounter the Vulcan ship and it's Sarek's ship, and she's like, wow, why why is Sarek out here? And uh, Pike's like, yeah, about that. The fact that he feels guilty about mm -hmm. having to tell Starfleet Command about what he's learned about Spock. The fact that he, like, he, he felt guilty about it, not just the fact that he had to do it, but the fact that he hadn't told Michael yet that he had done it. Yes, he's following protocol. He's doing exactly what he should as a captain, but he still feels bad about even sort of betraying the trust of any of his officers, Spock right. and Michael in this situation. And, and Michael played it perfectly too. She's like, no, you did what you were supposed to do. Like she probably would have been surprised if he hadn't told <laughs> the command that he had had these visions beforehand. So I, I like the fact that, you know, he did what he had to do, but mm -hmm. you can tell that he does have that, that, that slight feeling of guilt about having uh, even slightly violated the trust 
of his officers. And it just speaks again to how great of a captain he is. The fact that he does what he has to do when he has to do it, but he does care about the people deeply under him as well. So, uh, and it's just a small little thing, like just, I mean, five seconds on screen time and you get all of that from that. It's fantastic. And that's a tribute to the actor as well. You know, the way he comes over and just kind of like, you listen, kind of did something. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and that was great. It was, it was a great moment between Burnham and him. I liked that he came to her and they kind of had that slight private conversation because not all the bridge crew is privy to this information, nor should they be. Exactly. Um, but he still felt obligated to tell her. I, again, like you said, it's just him trying to earn the trust. I just love that moment when Burnham had to reassure him that, no, you did what you had to do. You, you haven't ruined anything in your friendship with Spock. And that was just... It was great. It was a fantastic scene. So small in the grand scheme of things, but again, just it really helps establish Pike as this type of captain who inspires loyalty. It doesn't just demand loyalty by the fact that he's a captain. He inspires loyalty by the way he behaves. And that's Mm -hmm. something that we should see from a great captain. And that's what we're seeing. Another thing I really liked was Lorel and our Vogue slash Tyler hybrids whole interaction. When they're... You know, she's she's talking to him in English or in, in Federation standard, I think they call it. And he's like, you know, you want me to you want me to be a Klingon here. You want me to you know, present myself as a Klingon. You want other people to see me as Klingon. Yet you're speaking to me in English. You know, if you don't treat me like Vogue, none of these other people are going to treat me like Vogue. So she just comes up and plants a big one right on him. And he's like, oh, and, uh, uh, accept that. <laughs> treat me as Klingon. Accept that because I'm not there. Yeah. That part of me is still human and still belongs to somebody else. And that that whole thing where he's like, like I'm mad, I'm angry, like, why won't you treat me like a Klingon? And she's like, here's why I won't treat you like a Klingon, because you won't behave like a Klingon in this way, that I need you to be a Klingon. Mm-hmm. And that whole, it kind of set the stage for it's like, okay, we can tell that this isn't going to work. The, you know, what they're doing right now is not going to be a long-term. And she even said as much to him. She's like, you're not going to be here forever. You know, I want you to be able to go live a human life at some point because she does actually mm-hmm. care for him and love him, even though he's this basically human now. And he's trying so hard to fit in. But then when he, you know, when she tells him the one thing that she needs from him in order for her to truly treat him as Vogue again. And that's the one thing that he can't give her. That whole scene, it's just, it's one of those scenes I'm talking about where you feel both sides of it. You can tell his, you know, like, yeah, like, how are you, how are you expecting him to portray himself as Klingon and for this entire council to believe that he's Klingon and part of you, but you're not treating him as Klingon yourself. But then you can also see her point of it where it's like, this is a person that she's in love with and he doesn't love her back anymore. He has memories of being in love with her, but he is not in love with her. And so you can definitely feel both sides of that. And there's just so much emotion in that scene. That's just like, Oh my gosh. And they played it so well. The actors in this scene were just fantastic. Shazad Latif. He's Absolutely brilliant. I mean, the way he, you know, he's, he's angry. He's, fr- you know, he's like, like, ah, I'm an, ah, ah, and then she's like, well, here's what I want. He's like, oh, but can't. <laughs> um, you really feel it, you know, and that's a hallmark of great acting and great writing is that as a viewer, we are feeling what the 
characters are feeling. So that whole scene, that whole interaction between them was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Another interaction that I really, really liked was uh, Michael's reaction, not only when she sees Amanda show up on the transporter pad, she's she's expecting Sarek. And at this point, the way they're doing the scene, I'm like, okay, I know it's going to be anybody but Sarek (laughs) because because we think it's going to be Sarek. So it's either going to be Spock or it's going to be somebody else. Like, it's going to be anybody but Sarek at this point. And so when we see her and she's like, Amanda? (laughs) And then she comes over and she's all being secretive and don't react, but Spock needs our help. And like, she's just like, what? But Michael's reaction, you want to talk about great eye rolls when Amanda says, so I did the only logical thing. I stole his medical files. And then the eye roll that Michael gives her is just the best thing. It's like, oh, mom, what did you do? Like, what? Like, oh, this is, this is going to get us in so much trouble. Yeah. She's like, I've, I've been, I've been convicted for <laughs> before. Like, I don't need this again. Yeah. It's, it's just a fantastic moment. The humor and then the, the reaction is just, so amazing. It's priceless. And then later on, of course, they're talking, you know, they're going through the medical file. This is after Pike has ordered her to break into it and they're finding out, she's finding out for the first time that Spock has actually seen these red angels, not just a few months before these red lights started appearing to Starfleet, but years before. And in fact, one of these red angels directed them to find her when she was lost. And then when she reveals the fact to Amanda that she is the reason that they're family can't ever be together because she did something and they don't say yet i don't know if they're gonna say she did something so horrible to spock to push him away in order to protect him she was Mm -hmm. you know she said he was my little shadow and so i'm wondering i'm hoping we get some flashbacks to see how their relationship grew because the only interaction between them as kids that we've seen so far he was not her little shadow (laughs) (laughs) he was not about her at all so obviously something changes And he becomes very connected to her. And so she is fearful that he's going to be attacked because they failed to kill her. And so she does something, and we don't know what, to make him stop liking her. She does it so well that he still doesn't like her, and they can't be together as a family. And Amanda's reaction is perfect as a mother. She's like pissed. She is angry as all get out. And she's just like, okay, so she, she contains it for a moment. She gives her a little peck on the cheek and then says, peace out. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that yeah. moment where she's just like, collects herself for a moment. Just like, okay, I'm still your mother. I'm still going to, I still love you, but, right but now, I'm done with you right now. <laughs> I cannot look at your face right now. <laughs> she's like, we will find him. And Amanda's like, no, I will. And she just like turns on her heel and out the door. It's like, oh, that, that's like, that's like when your dad comes home and is like, I'm not angry. I'm just <laughs> disappointed and you're like oh no just be mad like, at me it's worse <laughs> be, be mad at me beat me kick me do something don't be disappointed yeah that interaction was was very well done yeah uh, the the action in that scene was just uh, amazing i love that whole thing yeah me too and and i love it because um i forget the actor i don't know the actress's name off the top of my head but she's doing a very good job at showing that attitude that amanda does have that we've seen in the original series like you know when spock and sarek were having this back and forth and journey to babel and she's like hey listen cut the bs you two need to get along and i just love her like she doesn't get angry she just has this energy about her to like get what she needs done you know 
And I feel that this current actress playing Amanda very much captures the spirit of the original actress. Yeah, absolutely. She's doing a fantastic job. I thought so in the first season, even though we only saw her a couple of times. Yeah. But yes, I, I completely agree. She's doing a fantastic job at playing Amanda and bringing this new version of Amanda, even though it is the same one that we've known, but now we're, we're getting new information. We're adding that into the character and she's blending it so well. So mm -hmm. yes, absolutely fantastic job. Uh, another thing I really liked was Tilly's breakdown on the bridge where we finally get May saying something that wouldn't just be in Tilly's mind when we right. we're getting the first indication for sure that this May that she's seeing is not just a figment of her imagination. It's not just something inside her head. It has an agenda of its own. It's, it is something. When it starts talking about, this isn't the captain. The captain is blonder and much whiter. And, it, and immediately I was like, is she talking about Stamets? She thinks Stamets is the captain? Like, <laughs> my first thought when she said, the captain is blonder, I'm like, is she thinking Tilly? You know, is she thinking Captain Killy? <laughs> you know, but then she said much whiter and shorter. And he, she yeah. kept saying he. So I'm like, wait. I know a person who's very white and very blonde. <laughs> so I was like, is she, is she talking about Stan? Like, that doesn't, like, what? So, but you can see, like, okay, finally we're at a point where this isn't just something that's in her mind. This is an entity right. with an, an agenda of its own. And we're like, oh, something's going on here. There was something I didn't like about that scene that we'll talk about in a few moments. But sure. that part, the, the way she acted that, the way that it went down, the way that, you know, May happened to appear to Tilly right between her and Pike. So when she's yelling at May to shut up, it looks like she's everybody on the bridge thinks she's telling Pike to shut up. Oh my God. And everybody's like, what? And she's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And you like uh, that whole thing. I, I love that. Saru was definitely felt like a parent in that mode. Cause he's like, Ensign Sylvia Tilly. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like almost said, surprised said we didn't it, get a middle name in there. Right, right. <laughs> almost. But that's what it felt like for sure. Yeah, that, that whole thing was – it was just very well acted. I, I have a slight issue with the writing that we'll talk about later. But the, sure. the acting, as it was written, was brilliant. I loved it. Next thing is the, the fight scene on Kronos with Laurel and oh Tyler and uh, Kolshaw's whole clan Oh, man, that was so fantastic. Just so well shot. I would easily say the second best fight scene in Discovery so far, all seasons. Yes. Obviously, that, that fight on the, the, bridge, Terran ship. the the throne room of the of the Terran ship was still far and away the best that we've seen, I think, in Trek in general. Oh, but yeah. this was a very close second, I think. It was a fantastic fight scene, well choreographed, well done. There was one point when I thought one of the Klingons took a, the Mechleth right to the junk, but then upon rewatching, I saw <laughs> that it was actually his thigh. So, you know, I cringed a little less the second time. Um, <laughs> just a little, because it was still really close. But that, oh, just so beautifully choreographed, beautifully acted and the action I don't know how many uh, of the main actors were doing their own stunts and how much of it was was stunt work but the stunt work was fantastic I'm assuming most of the side Klingons that we didn't know about were just you know regular stuntmen to begin with yeah. Yeah, but I don't know how much of the actual fight was done by our main actors and how much was was stunt work but either way it was brilliantly done and it was shot in a way that there was no way I could tell if at any point they had switched out so that scene was fantastic and I liked at first, I didn't like the device that Kolshaw used 
to, to at the end of the fight when he's just like he's like okay I'm just gonna let them battle it out I'm gonna kick back I'm gonna wait and then he, I'm gonna zap him with this paralytic device and make her sign this thing against her will and I was like that is such an unklingon thing to do but then it right. is really a house coal thing to do <laughs> <laughs> so at, you know at first I was like man that is so unklingon but then I was like no that's unklingon as we know them but it's right. definitely something that this house would do because they're all about the treachery and the backstabbing and getting what they want however they want to get it and saying one thing to your face and doing something else five seconds later at that point i was like no no that fits that's perfect for this character that's exactly what this character would do exactly so as we talked about before Giorgio's entrance just brilliant her entire scenes i also loved section 31's solution <laughs> to the yes. whole problem of people not having faith in laurel as chancellor because of tyler and i love the fact that like she's like can you kill him and she like immediately like puts the uh, mechleth <laughs> to her throat she's like i, I had to ask <laughs> so obviously they had to go a different route there is one thing about that that I didn't like as well that we'll sure. talk about in a little bit. The the idea of the solution was perfect. to And to, not only to have her, you know, apparently kill Tyler and the baby, or the, the baby was supposedly killed by Tyler and uh, right. Tyler killed Coleshaw in defense of Laurel. Like, that's, that all happened because they were trying, you know, the, no, the way she, she spun that, it. that Coleshaw defended yeah, that, her. That, yeah, that's what I mean, is that, that Coleshaw died defending her. So they right. they bring they save face. Yeah, they save face for for his family. So that they they're not coming out with a, he tried to kill me, so I had to kill him back because that was a, you know Tyler's like, hey, he killed your uncle, we killed him, you know, yeah, done and done. And the Klingons would have accepted that, but they wouldn't have it wouldn't have made them follow her more. Exactly. And so that whole situation of them twisting that whole narrative into something that gave Lorel more stature and power was just fantastic. And and like we mentioned, the the brief look on Giorgio's face when she's looking at the baby and you see that brief glimpse of maybe some actual humanity in there somewhere. Deep, deep, deep down. But it's there somewhere. <laughs> It was so well done. It really was. Uh, again, Michelle Yeoh is just fantastic actress, and she is playing this character so great. Honestly, this episode gave me more anticipation for her Section 31 show than anything else mm -hmm. prior to that. Like, I was excited to watch it because, you know, New Trek is always great Trek, and Michelle Yeoh is great. Oh, yeah. You know, I was always thinking, like, yeah, I'd rather see, you know, Prime Giorgio instead of Section 31 Giorgio. But this episode has me excited for a Section 31 Giorgio show. So that was very good. It, it almost, it, this almost feels like a backdoor pilot in a way for that, you know, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a tad. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of setting that up like, hey, here we go. But we're going to see more of her in this as well. So we'll see yeah. how far they go. And then I wonder where they're going to start that show. Like, are they going to start that show with that clip that was not really aired, but most of us saw of her being recruited to Section 31 in the first place? Like, is that how they're yeah, going to start well, that show? Or We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But there's a lot to like about this episode. I really enjoyed it. But there were some things that I didn't quite like as much as I'm sure there were for you. So what didn't you like about this episode? Okay. So uh, like, like we kind of touched on before, I definitely wished for some more flashbacks to explain Amanda and Michael's stories of the past. 
I thought it would have been more impactful to get some of the kind of flashbacks that we saw in the first episode of the season, brother. I feel like that would have broken up this episode a little bit and help it feel like less of a, a bottle show on Discovery. So... I would have liked to see that narrative thread carried through brother. So when they're like saying, oh, well, when you ran away and this and that, I don't need, you know, I don't need a full blown whole sequence shown in the past, but like maybe little flashes of, of that. And especially when you already had those character actors, those child actors for Spock and, and Burnham as younger, when you had them available, like, you know, I, I don't know how, how, how long it takes to, or how much it takes to hire these kids again, but you would think that they would maybe have them on call to like film little things like this, just so we get a brief hint of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I said, with the whole, he was my little shadow. Like, okay. Um, that's not what we've seen thus far. So how did you get to there? Like a little right. bit, just a little flashback of them bonding or just something showing that after she had been there for a little while, they warmed up to each other and he started following her around and, you know, doing everything that she did and, you know, whatever, like and, just and telling us me, that this, this dislike will go away the further we get into the season. And they, if they start doing more of the flashbacks and stuff, but, but for right now, just them talking, I get it. But in a show of like mostly talking, just kind of like break it up visually. And they did that well for most parts of the episode. Like, you know, we did get half of the episode on Kronos. You know, when when you have two side stories that are taking place on Discovery, I, I think just breaking up a little bit when talking about the past uh, would have helped a little bit more, at least for this episode. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like I said, I was left confused by like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Little shadow, you know, like little things like that. And the whole, like Mm -hmm. when you got lost and he told us like, those are things that I'm sure they did it probably for time. But again, we've talked about this in the past. I know it's being broadcast on TV in other places, but for those of us paying for CBS all access and getting access to the streaming version of the show, there, there should be an extended cut or director's version or whatever have you that is longer and has these bits in it that doesn't require time set aside for commercial breaks. Yeah. And set the director's cut as what is streaming and then what eventually becomes on Blu-ray and DVD. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm fine with them having a cut for the places that they have broadcast rights. Right. And even for, and I know some people probably Aaron even would disagree with me on this one, but maybe even for the people who are paying only for the commercial version of CBS where they have the commercial breaks, I'd still prefer that they get the full version also but i'm thinking like if you're going to do commercials then only the people who have to watch commercials should have to see the version that's cut for commercials sure people who are paying for the non-commercial version should get more and we're not saying that every episode has to be like an hour and a half epic or anything just like some just one or two bonus scenes to help like flesh out some of these episodes a bit yeah, and it's probably not anything that they even have to like, oh, we have to add in something for this. This is stuff that's probably on the cutting room floor when they're right. making the, the you know, like, OK, we got to get it down to 42 and a half minutes or whatever the time stamp is that we need to hit. There's probably stuff left over that they've filmed, that they've written, they filmed, they've cut, yes. they've processed, everything's there. 
They just need to give it to us. Um, and that leads into another one of my dislikes, which we briefly mentioned, was I was so disappointed that the Section 31 intro scene that was the bonus clip from the end of Season 1 has not been integrated into the main show. Because if you did not see that, then a viewer might be even more confused as to what's going on. So I really hope that they incorporate that footage somehow, whether it's, you know, maybe George O's explaining to Burnham what happened, and maybe they use that scene as, as repurposed into a flashback or something. But that bonus scene was not highly advertised. Yeah, wasn't it just like on their YouTube page? And that, yeah. was, that was it. It was never put up on CBS All Access. It was never aired on any of the TV shows. I don't think it was available to people outside the States on Netflix. So if and you didn't I go on YouTube I, and watch it, you didn't see it. I think it was on the Blu-ray, but I, I can't confirm that. So that was my big thing. It's like they went through all this trouble to do that little tease to show that she got inducted into section 31 by Leland is the mm -hmm. character's name, but you don't even find out his name in this episode. Unless you had the captions on, which I did because, or, because right, of the, the whole Cassian Asian thing uh, from a couple episodes ago. <laughs> so I've got the captions on now and it says, because, because yeah. his first words come on when he's not on screen and the way they do the captions is if the person's not on screen, they put the name of the person who's speaking and yeah. it says Leland and then his line on the caption. So I'm like, Oh, okay. His name, Leland, uh, but that's the only reason we know it's from the captions. <laughs> Another thing I didn't really particularly like in this episode was how quickly the Laurel and Tyler slash Volk plotline was resolved. It kind of felt more like a soap opera with you know the whole baby and the kidnapping and this and that. Uh, it was it was a bit melodramatic, but. I mean, Klingons are always kind of a bit melodramatic. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess the way the story unfolded was okay, but I didn't know it would just be like, boom, done, there it is. Like, that whole situation was just like, okay, here we go, it's done. I think maybe spreading that out across a couple episodes would have been a little bit nice because I don't know where we go with Laurel from here unless it's the Klingons being involved in this red burst scenario. And I really hope that's not the last of, that we see from Laurel for this season of discovery, because I think Mary Chifo is a fantastic actress and she just kills it when she plays Laurel. Oh, I absolutely. I agree. And yeah, that's uh, in a way that's one of my gripes too. We'll talk about it in a little bit is the way that this was handled. I, I too felt that it was wrapped up a little too quickly. I liked the interaction. The story itself was good, but as you said, I felt it was wrapped up a little quickly and a little too tidily. Now, I don't think that's the last we're going to see of Laurel because they did mention that the Klingons have noticed these red bursts and that they're taking it as some sort of omen oh, of doom. Yeah. So I believe that we're going to see the Klingons and their you know, hunt for these red lights in a much different way than the Federation is looking for these red lights. So, And that's, that's what I liked. I liked how Coleshaw described it like three or seven drops of blood that, that were spilled. Yeah. And I, I really like that. So the Klingons are taking this a whole nother way. So I hope you're right. I, I hope we see more of how they are dealing with this situation. Yeah, I think that's how we're going to see more of Laurel and more of the Klingons in this season. But yeah, it is a little, it, it's only disappointing because they're 
interactions are so great. The interactions between Lorel and Tyler slash Vogue, whatever, because they're so well done, it's sad to think that they might not interact again this season. Right. You know, because we know that Tyler's probably joining Section 31. We don't, we've seen him in a regular Starfleet uniform in previews for the season, but that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that he's back in regular Starfleet. He could be in Section 31 infiltrating as a regular officer, which is totally something Section 31 would do. So, But I, I don't know that we're going to get any more Laurel-Tyler action together, and that's kind of sad because they are so... They play so well together. The characters, oh, yeah. the actors, they just... They work so well together. So I, I agree that that could have easily been spread out a little bit more, and I'll talk about that more. What else didn't you like? The last thing that I really didn't like was... <laughs> frankly, most of how they dealt with the Tilly situation. I did like kind of seeing her descent into madness, but I didn't like that she didn't even seek help from sickbay. Um, I know we get a touching moment with Burnham and their friendship, which was a highlight of the episode. I love the little moments with Burnham and Tilly. They're not forgetting that relationship. They're keeping it going. Mm -hmm. Burnham's always very encouraging of Tilly. And well, a roommate's I, like a built-in best friend. Right, exactly. But I don't like how they're really dealing with the spores and the dark matter. I think the crew overall needs to be smarter especially Tilly, like her just handling of, of the dark matter. And she did get dressed down by Saru. So, and I know that she's a cadet and she's learning, but if there's something wrong with you, you need to seek help, especially yeah. like in the world of Star Trek, when there's freaking aliens and parasites and weird phenomenas and anomalies, there's just so much going on. And yeah, they're eventually able to discover it, but even when they discovered it, I felt like they were doing it the wrong way. You know, Burnham says, you don't need sick bay, you need stamens. She needs both of them. <laughs> <laughs> like she she needs sick bay and stamets like it's it's kind of a joint operation and maybe i'll have to watch the scene again but i don't think there was a medical officer present when they were extracting this spore i didn't see any from. white uniforms okay and, so. and that's another problem like stamets just ripping this life form out of her without any kind of care or regard from how might that affect Tilly physiologically mm -hmm. was a problem for me. Yeah. So I don't like, like I get it. It's like, Ooh, rip it out. And you know, we get the story moving along, but I just think as Starfleet officers, they need to be a bit smarter. Like there should have been like, what if, sh what if Tilly went into like cardiac arrest or some kind of like, major medical trauma well they were monitoring her we, we did they see were, they had the the things on her for on her sure. on her temples and they had obviously the body monitor going on but that doesn't necessarily and, mean that they were prepared for a medical right. emergency they were specifically looking for these these four things so i do actually i agree with you on this point and i disagree in some ways sure but okay. I, I, I want to make sure you're, you're done oh, I, with I'm, your point. I'm done. Okay. So here's my thing with that whole situation. I agree with you. She should have seen medical help. I right. understand, however, why she didn't. And I actually like the fact that she didn't want to because we're seeing the other side of, as we talked about last episode, the fact that Spock committed himself to a psychiatric hospital because he knew something was wrong. You know, we, we, we talked about how important it is to seek help when you need it right. and how so often it doesn't happen. 
And so now we're seeing the other side of that. We're seeing Tilly. She knows she needs some help, but she also is she's of the mindset that there's still this stigma. There's still this like if I admit that I'm seeing things, they're going to kick me out of the command training program. I'm going to lose my I'm going to you know ruin my career if I admit what's happening to me. So that's why I understand why she didn't. She still should have as a Starfleet officer. She should know better. But I understand why she didn't. What I want to know is how. When she broke down like that on the bridge, Pike or Saru didn't order her to sickbay. They should know better for sure. Her, I'll give a little bit of a pass on because she's a, a cadet. Or no, she's an ensign now, but she's she's young, she's inexperienced, and she's fearful of her career at this point, thinking that something's wrong. But you know, if I'm a commanding officer, whether it be captain or first officer, and I see somebody break down like that on my bridge, I'm gonna be like, hey, go to sickbay, get checked out. Like something ain't right. Like, this is not just a normal freaking out about pressure situation. You're talking to somebody who isn't there or you're yelling at the captain to shut up. Either way, something's wrong. Go to sickbay. So I think Pike or Saru at that point should have ordered her to sickbay. There's no reason whatsoever that the conversation between Michael and Tilly couldn't have happened in sickbay. There's no reason why Commander Saru couldn't have been like, you know what? Go to sickbay, get checked out. Maybe the doctor looks over and says, I can't see anything wrong with you. So Michael comes down to talk to her and she tells her what's going on. And then we have, you know, that conversation could have happened in sickbay instead of in their quarters. There's there's no reason. For for me, that was a failure on the part of the writers in the fact that one of the commanding officers, either the captain or the first officer, should have stepped in because they were both there, present for that breakdown. Mm -hmm. They should have ordered her to sickbay at that point. I can understand her not wanting to she should have known yes but i can understand because again as we talked about when people have these issues a lot of times they feel that they'll be looked down on if they reveal it if they admit that they're having these feelings or seeing things or hearing things or whatever it may be but discovery has been doing such a good job of showing us that people care and people care about others' mental states and how their well-being. Like, it's exactly. a very – Star Trek Discovery has done a very good job of showing us that part of, like, an advanced human civilization where, look, we listen. We take a step back. We hear the concerns of others, and we don't disregard it as them being crazy. We, we take their concerns into account. And I feel like – In that way, Tilly's fear about, oh, they're going to keep me out of the command train program, where is a little unjustified. So it's absolutely unjustified as far as realistically, but I can still understand how in the back, because when you... When you're depressed or anxious or have sure. these feelings, you're not necessarily thinking logically. You're not thinking sure. that these people are going to understand. These people are going to help me. You're thinking something's wrong and they're all going to hate me if they find out about it. That's that's mm-hmm. the way your brain just works. I'm, I'm much more disappointed in Pike and Saru in this particular instance than her. Sure. Yes, she should have known better. She should know that she can seek help and not be penalized for it. But in the moment, I can understand why she would think that. So. Like I said, I'm not giving her a full pass. It's kind of a partial pass. But upon seeing something like that, as a commanding officer, you should be stepping in and saying, you know what? Go get checked out. So that was my biggest. Don't just let her run away. Like that was just. You know, she's like, I quit. And she just leaves. And they're all just like staring at her like, oh, that was weird. Okay, back to business. Like somebody should be like checking on her. Like what the heck? That was not normal. (laughs) Yeah. That was my biggest issue with that. The other issue I had, we took, we kind of talked about this. I felt that too much happened in this episode for it being so short. And whether that means 
it should have been a longer episode or whether that means some of this story should have been split up into more episodes. Either way, you know, the previous two episodes have been so great because they've really just had the one main storyline and like a subplot, maybe a subplot and a half yeah. going on. In this one, we saw so many main plots going on all concurrently. And well, yes, we understand that all of these things are happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's still a lot to cram into 45 minutes. And the fact that we're in a streaming platform where they can take all the time they want to get this story told, I don't yeah. feel we need a rushed episode like this. Yes, it's good to have an action-packed episode, but this one felt like it was too much story crammed into too short of a time. And they just don't need to do that. There's no reason for that. So I, I feel like it could have felt more coherent if they had kept it like the first couple of episodes. Maybe maybe this episode we just deal with Laurel and Tyler and a little bit of Amanda and Michael. Or we yeah. just deal with Amanda and Michael and a little bit of Tilly. And we we push the we push the Klingon stuff to another episode by itself. You know, like I feel like there didn't need to be all of these things. I mean, we we dealt with Amanda and Michael, and we dealt with Pike, and we dealt with Laurel and Tyler, mm-hmm. and then we dealt with Giorgio and Section Thirty One. I mean, there was so much going on in this episode, which can be a good thing, but at the same time, it felt a little rushed and incoherent to me just a bit not right. enough for me to not like the episode but you know if i'm finding something to complain about that's what i'm going to do <laughs> right and and that was partially what brought my you know final rating down a bit was was that and and it that speaks to my point of you know i felt that the laurel and tyler situation was resolved a little bit too quickly so yeah i, exactly. I yeah. totally agree with you and then my final gripe about this episode is that severed baby heads <laughs> be they klingon or not are really freaking disturbing <laughs> I and even even be they real or not, I'm just the whole baby corpse would have been still disturbing, but but somehow still better. But the fact that she just had its head, I was like, oh no, oh my, oh no. I I really don't think that that was entirely necessary for them to have the the severed but, head of the baby. I was like, oh, that's it was it was definitely off putting. Even to the Klingons, like you saw the Klingons reaction when she held up that head. They're like, oh, my God, what the hell's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) But it kind of drives her point home, which like, yeah, this was pretty brutal. So like I can see it. But yeah, when I saw that, I was like, wow, they they went there. (laughs) Yeah, they actually went there. I'm like, you know what? Show me more uh, gray Klingon nipples because that was less disturbing (laughs) than that. But other than yeah, that, that was just oh man, I I don't I don't I do not want to see that put up on some Star Trek prop auction. I do not oh want to see that. Oh, <laughs> oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Why put that thought in my head? Oh my gosh! Hey, you two can own the severed baby and evoke and Laurel's next month from Eagle Moss Collections. Oh god. <laughs> it's that's too much that's too much oh my goodness i i I agree with you that was it was it was too much all right well that that's really all that i have to (laughs) gripe about about this episode um however we always have some unanswered questions after all of these episodes so uh what were some of yours yeah so have the red bursts or red angels attracted the attention of section 31 is the medical cover-up for spock they're doing in turn if it is the cover-up for spock does that mean they're in search of these red 
angels? It's a very good question. I, they kept mentioning the, the medical personnel on Starbase 5 and Pike mentioned their people were looking into it. And right. Of course, I'm assuming that we're intended to infer that that's Section 31. Whether or not that's actually what they're implying or not, I guess we'll find out. But it seems to me like a lot more people know about Section 31 than should, if that is the case. Because they are supposed to be really secretive, especially at this stage of the game. It seems a little odd that so many people would know about them and just be like referring to them as their people are working on it. But yeah, there has been no mention as to whether or not Section 31 cares about these red bursts. If they're like, you know what, we'll let Starfleet deal with that. We're dealing with keeping the Klingons in order. And this led into one of my dislikes about the handling of the spore situation. Mm. Why was no attempt made to communicate with the spore life form before forcibly removing it? Clearly it had something to say. It had an agenda. It was speaking to Tilly. It was practically begging her at the end. I I know it's annoying to Tilly to have this voice in your head, but she didn't even try to ask its purpose. That was a bit annoying to me because Starfleet should have this great respect for, you know, sentient life forms. Mm -hmm. I was not a fan with how Stamens forcibly removed it. I was not a fan of Tilly completely ignoring its concerns. Like it was, it's definitely trying to tell her something. It's trying to warn her about something. And that has to do with statements in some capacity. Why wasn't statements like, whoa, whoa, hold the phone. It's also mad at me. Like, what's that about? (laughs) Can you ask it? Yeah. Like, that's what I would want to know because when they ripped it out of her and put it in this force field, it's just a blob of like, like all these sounds, like, with Tilly, at least Tilly could have been that conduit for had a communication. Voice. Yeah. Yeah, that, that bugged me too. Not just be like I understood again Tilly's response to it. She just wants it out. Oh, she sure. wants it gone because it's frustrating her. It's standing in the way of her plans. But the fact that she's the only one that can hear it. I kind of give Stamets and the rest of them a pass about wanting to get rid of it because she's not telling them that it's saying things to her. Like, she's just saying it's using the voice of this person from my past. She's not saying, hey, it just told me it had a plan and that it needs a new one now because it's old plan. Like, maybe we should take take a pause. So that is entirely on Tilly as far as, like, I know she wants it gone. But at the point where she's, like, in a controlled situation, she's already told... She's people being about monitored. It. She's being monitored. They've figured out a way to get it out if they need to. At that point, you stop and say, okay, we've got everything in place. Now, May thing, whatever you are, what the crap do you want? <laughs> and then we can determine whether or not is this is something that needs to be ripped out of her, if this is something that needs to stay in her for the time being to survive until they find a different way for it to, to survive. Because who knows if it can even survive outside of her body. Maybe it needs. Right. Although I do have one thing to say about the whole situation. Um, I'd just like to say, called it, uh, about the spore <laughs> falling on her shoulder. If you remember oh, sure. last week's... <laughs> It was spot on. (laughs) Well, (laughs) not quite, because I did say that I thought that she was like a mycelial ghost of the actual May. And that turned out to not be the case. She was just using a memory of Tilly's. But the fact that it was that spore that fell on her shoulder combined with the dark matter that created this whole thing. I was like, yeah, tie back to the first season. I like it. One of the things I did like just to not completely gripe about that situation was I like Burnham's 
figuring out the problem to solve. And, you know, that little mention of, oh, she doesn't know what crying is. And it's like, come on, like even with your subconscious and even just the fact of like basic human girls, like (laughs) I just liked her mention of, you know, show me a teenage girl that doesn't know what crying is. Yeah. So I, I love the whole deduction process, but I wanted more of that. I wanted more of like, okay, let's ask this thing directly. Yeah. And that's and, all I'll gripe about on that. Yeah. But, and again, that uh, whole conversation, while it was great, could have taken place in sickbay. Yep. <laughs> no, it really could have. And then my final unanswered question was that the timeline for the baby doesn't make sense. Because if the child was conceived before Vox transformation, what about the nine month gap we missed when discovery returned from the Terran universe? Because Vox transformation happened at the beginning of the season, Mm -hmm. them going to the Terran universe was at least, you know, a couple months, a few months during the war ahead of that. I don't know how long a Klingon gestation is. I, I don't even know if that's even been mentioned in the canon. But there's there's still, and I, I really hope that the writers don't forget that when Discovery returned from the Terran universe, everyone thought they were dead. That was like a nine-month gap where they were not around. Yeah. So even with, even with like, let's say Klingon pregnancies were the same as humans and, and nine months, there's still an extra three or four or even five months. Cause we don't know, you know, how long discovery was at earth before they took off to find their new captain. The show yeah. made it seem like, Oh, next day, here we are to do, but clearly a little bit of time passed. So yeah, to me, the, the timeline doesn't make a whole lot of sense when it comes to the baby. Yeah. And they, they did, try to kind of explain that away in the way it's she's, an ex utero and and i i even taking that into account yeah she's it's like still that's, a little iffy. that's why it's so small I'm like well but still you're wait i mean like does that mean it's like gonna be a teeny like how teeny tiny is it gonna be forever like yeah it, it is a little confusing about the timeline because that baby it looks like three to four months old, you know, based yeah. on size. Um, and knowing that if they had to, if there was actually a baby, a real baby in makeup for the screening, it's not legal for them to film anyone, a baby under three months old. So it had to be at least three months old to be, if it mm. was a real baby they used. That's why when you see newborns on TV shows and movies and stuff, they always look so huge. It's because they're not oh. allowed to film newborns. It's like, congratulations, you've had a three-month-old. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the youngest that they're allowed to film. But even, yeah, like you said, and I just did a quick Google search, and one of the results came up to to say about five months was the gestation period. Now that's then not, it really doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, then it's like that baby's <laughs> like a year old. <laughs> it really should be a lot bigger, even if it was, you know, ex utero oh or whatever. God. So, yeah, there's something confusing about that for sure. Yeah. Unless, of course, they did, so, you know, maybe we find out later that I don't think we will, because honestly, I think that storyline's done. I don't think we're going to hear about Laurel and Tyler's baby yeah. again in this season. I don't think it's going to be. It might be mentioned if Tyler and Burnham interact at any point. He might say, you know, Vogue had a child with Laurel and, mm-hmm. you know, they might talk about it. But I don't think any more details are going to come out about it. So that's a question that is unanswered now and is probably going to remain <laughs> unanswered because <laughs> I don't think we're going to find out anything about that. That seemed, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. The baby was was too young for the time frame that we were looking at. 
Yeah. So for me, a lot of a lot of unanswered questions still left in this episode. They crammed a lot in, but they did still leave a lot left. Like you said, what are the Klingons going to do about these red bursts? What is their plan? Is Lorel concerned at all about them, or is she so focused on just trying to stay in power that she doesn't really? She's not even focused on that right now. But if so, what's she going to do about it? You know, like how are they going to respond to that? Are they going to send ships out? Are we going to see the Klingons sending a ship out to one of these places? at the same time Discovery mm-hmm. shows up? Are we going to see more interaction between them? It's very confusing. I'd like to know more about the whole Section 31 thing as yep. far as what exactly is their mission right now. Like, is, are, were they completely 100% focused on just making sure the Klingon situation stayed resolved? Or mm-hmm. do they have, as Section 31 typically does, do they have ulterior motives in this as well? Were they... Maybe did they plant some seeds to make this conflict happen so that they could get Tyler? Mm. Were they Was that their goal all along, was to find a way to get Tyler out of there and into Section 31 so that they could use him? I wouldn't put it past them, to be quite honest. So yeah. that's that's a question that I have. It's like, okay, what's, what is Section 31's stake in all of this? Do they give a crap about the Red Burst? Maybe, maybe not. Like I said, we know from trailers that we see Tyler in a regular Starfleet uniform on the Bridge of Discovery at some point. How long he's there, why he's there, we don't know, but we do see that. We know that next episode is going to be primarily Saru-focused, based on the trailer. We're going to see some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, situation in which Saru's life is in danger. We know that. Not much else is is answered, so we don't really know much more. And that really leaves the biggest unanswered question as to what are they doing about this spore life form that they just mm-hmm. yanked out of Tilly? Because now they have it. They have it in a force field. I'm assuming they're going to put it in the, I don't know if they're going to put it in the chamber, if they're going to put it in the, the spore field garden, whatever they have going on in there. Like what, <laughs> what are they going to do with this thing? And what's its story? That's right. a big question that Huge. does not look like, I didn't see anything in the preview for next week's episode that touched on that at all. So I don't think we're getting any answers to that next episode either. So we're going to have to wait a while for that one. But that's my biggest thing is, yeah, what What's what's up with that spore thing? Now that they've pulled it out of Tilly, how are they going to find a way to communicate with it that doesn't involve it invading a, a human body? Are they going to figure out what its motive is? Does it have a motive? Or you know, obviously it has a motive. It has a plan. It has a, an agenda. It has something. What? What does it want? Like, is it just trying to get home? Is it trying to get to do something? Like, what? What's up with this spore entity thing? What are they going to call this spore entity thing? That's an unanswered question. <laughs> yeah, because because the the word that they used was like, I, I can't say that every time. <laughs> it was an interdimensional something, sporastic something, yeah, blah blah like, blah. Yeah, and I'm gonna like, have okay, to, cool. It's like, I, can you bring that? To, can you shorten that? Just. <laughs> So, yeah, that's my biggest unanswered question is what's going on with this Spore thing and where are they going with that storyline? Is it going to tie in to the Red Bursts or not? It could, being that it was activated, quote unquote, by the dark matter they found from the first Red Burst. But it may be that may be a completely separate situation because the Red Burst may have no idea about the Terran universe and the fact that this Terran spore invaded Tilly. Yeah. So that might be just a weird side reaction. So yeah, that the whole spore entity thing is probably my biggest unanswered question as of right now. Sure. So let's give this an overall score from 
ensign to captain. Because of how I felt about the Tilly situation and also the shortness of, uh, or the quickness of the resolution between Laurel and Voke, I have to give this uh, two and a half pips, uh, which is Lieutenant Commander. I still enjoyed many parts of this episode, but this was a step and a half down from what I would consider like a perfect episode. Huh. Um, I didn't quite go down that far as with my rating. I did go down from my previous ratings. I mean, granted, I pretty much had to consider, uh, considering I started off with a fleet admiral and moved down to a captain last time. But this episode, while it did have its issues and it did felt a little fast paced at times as uh, in a bad way, but not not in a terrible way. Right. I still find this to be a fantastic episode. I really enjoyed watching it. And I'm going to go ahead and give it three full pips, give it a full commander rank, and I'm even going to make sure that that commander is actually a first officer. Uh, not just any old oh. commander. It's a first officer. Not quite up there with the captain level of last week's, and definitely not first not week the level. Not commander. <laughs> Not to, not to what I, I give it a full admiral ranking Captain. of the first episode there. But yeah, I give this one a full commander, first officer status. Very good episode altogether. Mm-hmm. Like I said, did have did have issues, but not enough that would ever turn me on. Like nothing that I would be like, well, I'm you know what? I'm done with this show because of this. No, nothing no. like that. Just stuff that if I wasn't such a big fan, I probably wouldn't even gripe about. That's the thing is, uh, as we've talked about before, us fans, fans like us who are very adamant about the show, we're critical about the show as well. Mm -hmm. We will give credit when we think something's good, but we will pick it apart when we think something's not good too. And so that's where we stand on this. I'm not being, not trying to be overly critical, but yes, there there was room for improvement. So we'll we'll give it some time to hopefully get bumped up to captain again next week. Yeah, I think that's a fair shake. I don't think we were unfair with the episode at all. So there you go. Now, what are our predictions for episode four and beyond? Well, based on the trailer, I mean, obviously we've got a lot to do with Saru. And it seems yeah. like based on what they, you know, just little clips here and there, trailers are very hard to interpret sometimes because they will show things that are specifically designed to mislead you, to make you think one thing when it actually ends up being something else. Like mm-hmm. If you look back to season one, one of the trailers showed Discovery launching a bunch of torpedo looking things. And then the next scene was the simulation of Kronos being destroyed. Right. <laughs> so you're thinking like, oh my God, Discovery's going to launch a bunch of torpedoes and destroy Kronos. Like, what the what the heck? And then you find out, nope, those were spore torpedoes and they were actually terraforming a planet into a spore planet. Like, it was a good thing, <laughs> those torpedoes, and the discovery of Kronos never happened. So we know trailers can be misleading and sometimes on purpose. This trailer, it led us to believe that there's some sort of genetic or something that... All Kelpians have that they're just going to die at a certain point. And now it's Saru's turn. And I'm like, wait, this has never been mentioned before. Like he didn't bring this up when he was joining Starfleet and like raising, you know, rising through the ranks. Like, oh, by the way, at this age, I'm going to die. Just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like maybe that's a thing you mentioned. I, I I don't know. Or maybe it's a disease that only some of them get, but 
and he didn't expect to get it because he wasn't on his plan. You know, I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll find out. But my prediction is that episode four is going to be a little bit more focused like the previous episodes. And mm-hmm. we're it's going to be, you know, primarily Saru and Michael's relationship, it looks like, just based on those just based on those trailers. I don't know if we're even going to see anything, if we're going to get any Red Burst, Red Angel action at all. It might be like this episode where other than mentions, we didn't hear anything from the from the Red Angels or the Red Burst this time around. So they've still got plenty of episodes to go to get to the rest of these bursts. We've already investigated two out of the seven. So they've only got five Red Bursts left, ten episodes left. They can spread it out if they need to. So it might be interesting. And hopefully we get to find out a little bit more about this spore life form, but I don't know. Yeah. So for the next episode for me, based on the trailer, I believe that the gigantic space creature, or I I don't even know if it's a creature. It could be a planet or some weird anomaly. Either way, I think it's somehow tied to the spore life form. In a way, this may be the intersection between the spore life form and a red burst incident. Uh, So that's kind of my prediction for that. I think May may have been trying to warn the crew, and that's why it needed to speak to the quote-unquote captain. So somehow I feel like these threads are going to be connected in some way, and I think we, we might see that in the next episode. They also teased Rebecca Romaine as number one, for that teaser, we saw a first glimpse of her. So I don't know, is the enterprise fixed and it comes to help out in this situation? Is that something that happens at the end of the episode when the thing is fully resolved? So I, I'm not sure how number one is going to fit into this episode. And then regarding this Saru disease thing, I think it might be related to him being off his world. Like you were talking about and the resolution might come with the help of his sister and they'll tie it into the short track somehow. That's right. We do. We do know that at some point we see a sister in the show. It wasn't in this particular trailer, but we do know that we see it. So it could be. In this it next it episode. might not be this episode, but I think they might be planting the seeds next week. Yeah. Very possibly. Yeah, it's looks like it's going to be good. I love me some Saru, so a Saru-heavy episode is not a bad thing in my book whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I do hope they kind of go back to the tradition of the first couple of episodes where they focus more on one part of the storyline and one sub part of the storyline instead of trying to give us four or five main storylines all in one episode. I'm I'm really hoping that this episode was just kind of a bridge episode to get us from those into the rest of the storyline. But other than that, I am very much looking forward to it. I hope that it's going to be as good as these episodes have been thus far, because even the worst episode of this season so far has been fantastic. (laughs) So (laughs) what I would really love though, Anybody out there listening to this episode, we're going to be dropping this on Monday, so there's going to be a few days between this episode and the next episode coming out. I'd love to hear your guys' predictions. We've got oh, yeah. we're we're available to hear you on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, SF Escape Pod. It's it's SF Escape Pod across the board, is it not? I believe it is, yes. Yeah. So hit us up and let us know what you think is coming for this next episode and the rest of the season, and maybe we can work a shout out into the next show or something figure something out because we love to hear from our listeners we um, we do this for you guys well i mean i do it for me but we do it for you guys too (laughs) 
<laughs> I just like watching Star Trek. That's I, true. Me getting to talk about it is just a cool perk. <laughs> uh, so, Eric, if somebody wanted to contact you directly online, how would they do so? Yeah, so you can find me at TrekkieB47. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. That's where I'm most frequent there. You can also check out my other podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. That is the Ranger Command Power Hour at Ranger Command PH on Twitter, at Ranger Command Power Hour, all one word on Facebook and Instagram. So check that out if if you like both uh, genres of sci-fi. And if you want to hit me up online, I am available on Instagram, Twitter, and untapped at Eric J. Dewey. Of course, check out all of the shows on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. We're at foureyedradio.com, facebook.com slash network, and on Twitter at the SasquatchNet. All right. And until next time, we'll truck you later. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod.